most people think that the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, applies to only bank robbers, applies only to burglars and thieves. But the Hebrew word for stealing, the word ganath, is an all-encompassing word. It means everything from larceny to shoplifting to pickpockets to embezzling to racketeering and on and on and on and on. It's an all-encompassing word. In other words, the biblical definition for stealing is this. The taking of anything that does not belong to you regardless of its value. That's the biblical definition of stealing. I want you to listen carefully. Because the vast majority of people do not think of themselves as thieves. They really don't. And yet I read just this week about a hotel that in their first year of operation, they had to replace 38,000 spoons, 18,000 towels, 355 coffee pots, and 100 Bibles. I'm sure the Gideons will forgive them for the Bibles. (laughs) That is to say nothing of workers who would not put a full day's work for a full day's pay. It says nothing about those who pad their expense accounts. It says nothing about those who use company time for personal phone calls. It says nothing about those who surf the net during working hours and play even computer games. I read recently that employee theft of time and property cost American business and investors more than $200 billion a year. According to some estimates, as much as third of the cost of a product goes to cover various forms of stealing. Stealing that occurs for the, the time that product is made to the time it comes to the marketplace. Analysts, in fact, call that theft surcharge. Theft surcharge. I never heard of it before, but I've done studies on this one. Which, of course, puts an enormous burden on the economy to say nothing about what it does to erode the inner souls of our people in our culture. Those, of course, are, cannot even be compared to the highway robberies that has been taking place in corporate America of late. That highway robbery of these executives who make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, but that was not enough. They had to steal. We have created a culture of stealing. No wonder the ACLU want to remove the Ten Commandments from public life. And I thought to myself, if this is happening to us, a nation... Whether the ACLU acknowledge or not, has been built as our foundation of the Ten Commandments. If that is happening to us as a nation who has that kind of heritage, how terrible it must be in countries where the Ten Commandments and the Eighth Commandment in particular never been in the foundation of their developments. I want to bring this closer to home, however. I read some statistics, that 90% of evangelical Christians in America, I want to repeat the statistics again because I don't want you to miss it, 90% of evangelical Christians in America 
claim that they have never broken the Eighth Commandment. I said, really? This number is so disconcerting when you discover that less than 3% of evangelical Christians tithe. What do they think they're doing? But if you steal it from God, does it make it any less significant? Or have they just forgotten what stealing means? I'll tell you what I'm going to do in a minute. I'm going to turn, ask you to turn to a passage in the Scripture. But as soon as I announce the passage, some of you are going to groan. But I don't want you to prejudice yourselves here. Okay? Just humor me and be patient because what you're going to hear, what I'm going to say about this passage, is like nothing you've ever heard before. Amen? Now turn to Malachi chapter 3. <laughs> and beginning at verse 6. Malachi chapter 3, and I want you to begin with me as I read verse 6. It's a key verse in this passage, and I'm going to explain that a little bit further. I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. That is the foundational stone upon which this passage is built. So you descendant of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Ah, will man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In the tithes and the offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You know, back in 1990, somebody came to my office, and he brought the Bible with him. And boy, when I see somebody coming with the Bible, I kind of put my antennas up. And I remember all this, I mean, I'm ready for answers. And uh, this man had Malachi 3 marked in his Bible. And after the niceties of the first couple of minutes, he opened that passage. He said, let me tell you about myself. He said, I was having a rough time. I was not doing very well. And he said, I heard my preacher. He wasn't a member of my church. He said, I heard the preacher says, if you tithe, God is going to open the windows of heaven, and He's going to bless you in such way. And he read the passage for me as if I really needed to hear it, but he read it to me. And, and he said, you know, for the last two months, I have been tithing, and nothing happened. You know, that's one of those times when you call upon the wisdom of God, because you, you, you don't know what to say to that. In fact, he really didn't have to say any more, and, and I understood exactly what he is trying to say. He is saying that God did not keep his end of the bargain. That God is not faithful as he promised to be. That God is not true to his word 
That's what he's trying to say. And I then fast in my mind going through and I said, I wonder why he's saying that. And I remember well, he was saying that because there are some people who take Malachi chapter 3 as to mean that God is sort of a crooked salesman who is trying to sell you a get-rich-quick scheme. There are some people who take Malachi chapter 3 to see God as if he is a salesman coming to you with a pyramid scheme saying, look, you can double your money in two months. They really do. It's human nature. But I've heard preachers literally preach that stuff. There are so many people in the Christian community who see Malachi 3 passage, they see God like a snake oil salesman, you know. You buy this from me and you will get cured of everything that you got wrong with you. And you know what? They're not alone. They're really not alone. This is more epidemic than you realize. And you know what else? We're not alone in some of the thinking that goes on in our culture. Because the people in Malachi's days, the people to whom Malachi is writing, they were thinking the same thing. You see, human nature never changes. They were accusing God of unfaithfulness. They were accusing God of duplicity. They were accusing God of injustice. They were accusing God of not prospering them enough. And that is why, as I told you, verse 6 is the foundational stone of this passage. You miss that verse. You miss the whole passage. It really, the passage is not about money. The passage is about God. Verse 6 is the key verse. Is the, is the foundational stone verse. And it says, I, the Lord, do not change. Theologians love to give big words to simple concepts. And theologians have called this concept that God does not change. They called it the immutability of God. Well, God bless them. It just means God doesn't change. Because change can only happen either for better or for worse. And God cannot change either way. He cannot get any better because he's perfect. He cannot get worse because God is perfect. He cannot change. And so, here's what God is saying. Listen to me carefully. God is saying, ah, never, 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 never change. But you do. (laughs) But you do. In fact, God goes on to ask them to be changed back to do the right things. God is looking for here in this passage. And what God is looking for, every one of us, in our own hearts, today, nearly 3,000 years since that time this passage was written, here's what God is looking for. God is looking for a changed heart. God is looking for people to change their own attitudes toward Him, not only to stop accusing Him of unfaithfulness. What is God looking for? He is looking for those self-righteous people to whom Malachi was writing to realize that they are robbing God, and as long as they are robbing God, they are thieves, and as long as they are thieves, they will not be blessed. And that's what God is saying to them. 
He is saying, until your hearts have changed and you stop robbing me, you will not be blessed. Now, the problem, of course, with those people is the same problem of our day and every day. It's the problem with the vast majority of Christians, this 97% who says we don't break the Eighth Commandment. Same problem. Times of change. But people haven't. Do you know what the problem is? The problem is this. The reason they rob God and the reason they don't tithe and give offering to the work of the gospel, the reason they don't give the money back that belongs to God and they think they're in charge of it and it's their own money is because they cannot trust God to provide for their needs. The reason they will not tithe is because they cannot trust God to meet their needs, not just of the present, but of the future. They will not tithe off the top. And they give God the crumbs of lift over after all the bills are paid. Because they think that they're not going to have enough money to pay their bills. Now here's what most Christians think. They think of their income or their resources as a, a pie. And it's been sliced ten ways. If you get God one piece, you're going to only be left with nine. That's not the biblical concept. That might be a mathematical concept. It is not biblical. Instead, I want to give you God's concept. God's concept is that of a silo. And it's full of grain. And every time you turn the faucet and you use, you give, you start the first bucket you give to God. God keeps filling it in from the top. By the time you, you, he's met all of your needs and more left over. Listen, I have experienced this for long enough to know it is the absolute truth. Thousands of you have experienced that long enough to know it is true. So what are these people were doing? They were robbing God and they were rationalizing it. They were rationalizing it to themselves. So what is God saying to them through Malachi? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what the problem is? The problem is not a problem of money. It's the problem of the heart. That really is the problem. And any preacher start to taking this passage and start preaching on money misses the point. Because the point of Malachi is the problem is that of the heart. It is manifesting itself in the tithe and the offering. Listen to me. Those who nickel and dime God, and I know all about that, I'll tell you in a minute. Because in the early days, I used to nickel and dime God. You know, God, if I worked in the business, I would have been making so much. But now I'm in the ministry and I'm not making so much. And I was nickeling and diming him until God brought me on my face under conviction before him and realized that my problem is not the problem of money, but is a problem of my heart. I'm not trusting God. That really was the problem. And I know it's a problem for all of us. My problem was distrusting God to provide for all of my needs. Oh, I trusted God for my salvation. (laughs) Can you imagine? I trust Him with my soul, but I don't trust Him with my money. Can you imagine that? I trust Him with my children. But I'm just nickeling and diming God all the time. You know, look what I'm doing for you, God. Until God says, trust me, and you better start now. I did not trust God enough to write the tithe and the offering check off the top, not from the crumbs that are left over. In fact, I want to tell you, listen to me. The Eighth Commandment is all about trusting God. It really is. The Eighth Commandment is all about stewardship. 
This eighth commandment is about being a good manager and a good steward of all that God has put in your hands. And make no mistake about it, He did. He gives you a breath to get up in the morning and go to work. Takes that breath away and you're gone. What will happen then? It's all about good stewardship. And you know, good stewards, they're not greedy. Good stewards are never greedy. Let me tell you something. I heard Christians enough talking about greed that I think a lot of Christians confused about the essence of greed. They really do. You see, some people talk about greed, meaning you want more of this or more of that. No, 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 no. no. That's not the essence of greed. Listen to me very carefully. The basic essence of greed is desiring something that doesn't belong to you. The very essence of greed is desiring something for nothing. The very essence of greed is desiring something, but you're not willing to work for it. That's what the essence of greed is all about. And a good steward is not greedy. A good steward is not wasteful. A good steward is not squandering God's resources. They do not spend it all on themselves and then they say, we don't have enough. I'm a little fanatical about wastes, and, and, and I, I know I drive my family crazy, and I drive my staff crazy, but I just hate waste. I really do. I'm, I, just, I, I am the all, the, the, actually, I've been, a, uh, I've been a recycler before it was fashionable. I have several ways of using a piece of paper. <laughs> Wastefulness and squandering and not returning to God what belongs to God is not only bad stewardship, but the Bible calls that theft. He calls it stealing from God. I want you to hear me right on this one. This is very important. Good stewards work hard. They really do. If the boss expects you to work 40 hours, put in 50. Instead of 30, goofing off 10. That's a good steward. Good stewards, if the boss expects them to do something in 10 days, they do it in 9, not in 12. I love Jerry Bridges' definitions. Uh, he has a way of putting things together that really is incredible. And he said there are basically three, three basic attitudes toward possessions in, in our stewardship. He said attitude number one goes something like this. What is yours is mine, and I'll take it. <laughs> That's the attitude of theft. Second attitude is this. What is mine is mine, and I will keep it. That is the attitude of just about most people. And it's the attitude of selfishness. But then there's a third attitude, the godly attitude. And the third godly attitude says, what is mine is God's and I'll share it. You don't want to say amen? Yeah, bless you. I know this is a hard message. Look, let me explain something to you. God the Holy Spirit works harder on me than I'm working on you. And I hope that he is even working harder on me than he's working on you. My wife and I were just walking just a couple of days ago. We were walking down the street, and here's uh, he, a, a worker in the neighborhood. And, and I kind of wave at everybody when I go by, and, and, and this guy waved back. And then he, all of a sudden, he realized, he said, Reverend Yusuf. And then I turned around and said, hi, how are you? I said, I listen to you all the time, and I, I enjoy your messages uh, sometimes. <laughs> I mean, he was yelling from the top of his voice. All the neighbors were listening to him. I mean... <laughs> He said, it hurts some other times. I said, God bless you. Stop talking so loud. (laughs) I'll never hire him as public relations director. 
But listen, that is the attitude of a steward. Recently, we revisited Wesley Center in London. I wanted Joshua to, when he was with me there for a couple of days, to, to go and, because I get inspired every time I go and I see and hear the story of John Wesley. I just get inspired all over again in my life. So we went and I thought, you know, I want to get Joshua inspired there. And, and I remember, we're reminded again by this sweet lady in the center. And she said, you know, I remember, of course, Mr. Wesley used to say, make all you can save all you can, and give all you can. Instead of our motto today that says, make all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. (laughs) Wesley himself made thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pounds selling his books and his tapes. But you know what? He gave it all away. He only had two pounds left, less than two pounds in his estate when he died. But he changed his world like very few people have. So in Malachi chapter 3, what God is saying is this. He's saying, I am the changeless God. And I'm asking you to change. I want you to change your heart toward me. I'm asking you to change your heart toward the possessions that I have placed in your hands. I am asking you to change your attitude from that of an owner to that of a steward and a manager. I am asking you to change your attitude of distrusting me and my faithfulness to that of trust and commitment and surrender and see what I'm capable of doing. Not just tipping God the tithe for a couple of months and said, hey, where, where's mine? No, 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 no. You see, change your heart and see what I can do. Change your attitude and then watch me. Change your heart from fear of the future to trusting in my provision and see if I am not worthy of your trust. Change your heart from pouring it all on yourself and begin to give it away generously and ruthlessly and see what I'm capable of providing for you. Change your heart from wanting to accumulate to wanting to distribute and see what I will do for you. See what I'll do for you. That's what God meant. Not come and give me a couple of dollars and tell me, okay, God, I've done it for two months. Where's the rest? Change your heart from seeing me, the God of the universe, the changeless God, from being a crooked salesman who's offering you a get-rich-quick scheme and see what I'm for, for I truly am, the God who loves you, the God who cares for you, the God who wants to provide for your every need, the God who is concerned for every detail in your life, The God who cares for every aspect of your life. The God who wants to use you in a mighty way. The God who wants to bless you and longs to bless you. The God who desires good for you. The God who can do the impossible in your behalf. Now that's what God is saying here. Not a pyramid scheme. Not get-rich-quick program. No, he's saying, I want you to change your heart. I want you to change your attitude. I want you to trust me. That's what God is saying. God was so deeply 
angered by his people's distrust of him. Not only that they did distrust him, but they were accusing him of unfaithfulness. And that is why he speaks through Malachi and he said, change. I am a changeless God. I, the Lord, do not change. But you must, if you want to really be blessed by me, change your heart. Do something to prove that you trust in the Lord your God. Step out in faith. Not so that you might double your money in 30 days, but so that you may be blessed in the long run. Because that's God's desire for you. We talk about God's plan for your life. God's long-term plan for your life is to bless you. And then only then you can stop and look and see how I have done the impossible for you. I want to give you, as I conclude, a, a kind of a, a use of translation of, of Malachi 3. I, I, I kind of, you know, can't uh, resist the temptation. Here's my translation. God is saying, stop nickling and diming me. Because that kind of attitude does not honor me. It does not honor me. Instead of stealing the money that belongs to God, that rightly belongs to the storehouse, Trust in Him and see what happens. Trust in Him and see what happens. As I said earlier, I know that I'm not the only one. I speak for thousands of people who can testify right here that when they change their heart, when they change their attitude, they've discovered that He is completely trustworthy. They have discovered that He is entirely faithful. They have discovered that he is the keeper of his promises. That he is the keeper of his end of the bargain. That he is a changeless God. Father, I could preach my heart out. But unless your Holy Spirit takes these words, bring us under conviction, not condemnation, but conviction to change our attitude toward you. Change our heart. Lord, I know. Words can only be that. And so, Lord, I pray in the name and in the might, strength and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, visit every heart who's hearing me today. I pray that supernatural intervention will take place in every heart, including your servant who's praying. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.